Well, good morning, Heights family. It's sure good to see all of you today, and good morning out there at Midlothian. How exciting to see a couple of your folks baptized this morning. That's always good, isn't it? See those baptisms come through the water. And uh, yeah, go ahead and clap for that, man. We, you know what? If we're not getting excited about baptism, something's wrong, right? Absolutely. Hey, listen, we're continuing today our, our series on the family. And I ran across a, a lady this week from another generation. She's not still with us. Uh, some of you might remember, be familiar with Helen Rowland. Uh, she was an American humorist and, and journalist. And she made a lot of her humor on the area of marriage. And of course, you know, part of what makes something funny is there's, there's got to be some element of truth to it, right? That, that's kind of what it does. One, one, she got, got these little quips, these little one-liners about marriage all the time. And one of them that really jumped out at me, she said, when, when a woman gets married, she exchanges the attention of many men for the inattention of just one. <laughs> Stings a little, guys, doesn't it? Now, you know, the truth is, uh, Helen and women and really all people, all people, we all experience the inattention of people, don't we? I mean, throughout our lives, throughout the little world we live in, we're going to experience the inattention of someone at some time, all the time. But none of it stands out like when it's in our mate, right? I mean, we have a higher expectation there, a right and a good expectation there that our mate is going to give us a little more attention. And of course, this is not just an issue of our mate. It's, a, it's an issue of the home. We have expectations of all people at work, at school. We have expectations of strangers, expectations of our friends. And if you walk very long on this earth, sooner or later, those expectations get transgressed, right? I mean, yeah, that, that's going to happen. But when it happens at home, when it's a parent, when it's a child, when it's a, a, a mate, a grandparent that transgresses those expectations, and I'm not even discussing whether those are right and good, we have expectations. When those are transgressed, it hurts more at home, right? So what do we do? I mean, it's, it's, it's a reality. It's going to happen at home. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be frustration. There's going to be disappointment. What do we do? You know, in the uh, 13-some years now that I've been here, this is my fourth or fifth family series. And, and most of those series have been pretty much shaped the same way. I mean, I tweak, I change, I add, I delete. But, but for the most part, they, they look and they kind of sound, they communicate some of the same things from, from series to series to series. This one has had an entirely different approach. This ha has not looked or sounded like any family series I've done and probably doesn't sound like many of the family series you've ever heard if you've heard a family series. Let, let me let you in on a little pastor think, the way pastors think. And it's a weird thing, I'll be honest with you. But, but you know, we, we often, we have found that when you do pastor series, like pastors, family series, when you do family series, did you know more people come to church? You get a boom in attendance. That's true here. It's true throughout the country. It's true across denominations because we want to know about family, don't we? I want some answers. I want some help, maybe some new direction. I wouldn't imagine that across our sanctuary or out at Midlothian that our homes are on fire and we're dealing with disaster. There's some in here like that. 
But, but most of our homes at any given time are dealing with some issue on some level. And so anything that might help and gives, man, I want to hear that. I, I want to do that. I mean, it just always means a big increase in attendance. Un- until now. I, I'm not saying that's changed. I don't know that it's changed. You know, I wouldn't say I've received a lot or had a lot of conversations, but, I, but I've had a whole lot more than ever in the past of, of emails and, and face-to-face conversations where I'm, I'm hearing people say whether they're here and enduring it or whether they've... I've actually had people say, I'm not coming during the entire series. I, w- I won't be at church. And, and when I listen to all these conversations, I hear kind of a common theme. I don't want to hear it. I, I don't want to hear it. Now, they're not saying that for the same reasons. I mean, on one end, there's somebody saying, I don't want to hear it because all it is is a reminder of my failure. It, it's a reminder of how bad past tense already did, can't fix it, can't do anything about it. Now, in the grace of God, I don't believe that's ever true, but it's certainly kind of the overwhelming feeling, isn't it? There's nothing I can do to fix the harm and destruction I caused. And on the other end is, I guess, the one under that person, right? I, I, I don't want to hear it. It just, I, I sit there, it just opens wounds. It, it just re- brings back memories. You know, I, I sit here and I, I feel like, well, you're talking about something I can't do anything about. I can't create. You're, you're painting a picture I'll never enjoy. My mate won't come with me. I'm here alone. And so for these kinds of things, I, I just... Man, it just sounds like our homes are in a lot of pain. More pain than 10 years ago? More pain than a generation ago? I don't know. I, I don't know when we're in more pain than ever before, but it's, it's enough pain that's there that honestly, folks, this is what shaped my series this time. Before any emails, before any conversations, this is what, this pain is kind of really how and why I shaped the series the way that I did. You know, a lot of times when we're thinking a family series, and you've already heard me say this a couple of times, we're thinking of the how-tos, right? How to have better sex. How to handle our money. How to get our kids to do what we want them to do. We're thinking of the how-tos. But, you know, if you think about it, not all of us, but a lot of us, we've heard those how-to messages over and over and over some of us heard those two, three, four times. Are, is our really is our problem our how-to? No. No, there's something bigger. It's behind the how-to, and, and that's the why. Why is the real motivation? Why is what really gives us the ability to pick up the how-to and carry it and, and do something with it? But if we don't understand the why, if we don't understand the purpose, then there is really no how-to that's going to work for you. And, and, and not only do we need the purpose, but man, when you're in pain, you want to know why, right? I mean, don't at some point we look up to heaven and say, hey, God, what were you thinking? Really? Serious? Why marriage? Why, why family? And of course, that's what we've been trying to communicate in this series. What was God thinking? Why is there marriage? Why is there family? And probably very different than any of us have ever thought before. We've said, hey, the the real opportunity with marriage and family is to have a, a primary place, a primary set of instruments, a primary set of relationships where we practice being like God. 
That's the real goal. It's a place to practice being like God. Remember how we've talked about this? I, I need to practice being like God with all people, but I can get away from all people when I get tired. I can get away from all the other people when I'm not doing a good job at it. But you can't get away from family. You, you can't get away from that. It's like God said, here, this is where you're going to get it. And don't leave until you do. Work on it. Practice being like God. You know, purpose is so incredibly important. Because purpose doesn't change. If, if I'm in a good season in marriage, if I'm in a good season of family, or if I'm in a bad season, because we have those sometimes, right? Bad season of family, bad season of marriage. But purpose doesn't change from good to bad. Purpose doesn't change whether I'm, I'm happy or unhappy. All the circumstances of my home are determining is how and where I'm going to practice being like God. And you know what? It, it, let's be honest. It's a whole lot more fun if everybody in the home is on, on the ball with this, right? I, I mean, if everybody in the home is, is thinking, hey, the real opportunity here is to be like God. Well, then it's, yeah, that's a lot of fun. That's not always the case, though, is it? That's, that's not always what is happening. But whether somebody else in my home gets it or not, whether somebody else in my home has the same purpose, that doesn't change my purpose. My purpose is to practice being like God, right? That's the goal in life. It's the goal in the home. It's the goal at work. It's the goal at school. It's the goal in life to be like God. Now, last week, we looked at uh, oneness. Remember that? We looked at oneness. We said, hey, oneness isn't automatic. You choose it. You have to choose it spiritually, emotionally, physically. I mean, we, we really developed that idea, I think, pretty in depth. At, at least I went on for a long time, didn't I? But you know, did you know I left out a really big word, a really key word? As a matter of fact, there is no discussion of oneness without this one word, and it's the word vulnerability, right? What, what does vulnerability mean? It means to let the guard down. It, it means to trust, to let somebody in. Well, you can't have oneness if your guard's up. You, you can't have oneness if you don't let them in. But boy, it's hard to be vulnerable when you're hurting, isn't it? It's hard to be vulnerable when you're in pain. I mean, as a matter of fact, pain sends one message, doesn't it? Put the wall up. Put the guard up. It's not safe here. How do we do? How do we maintain vulnerability? How do we go after oneness when, as we've said, it can be maybe even our home that's causing the pain? Man, you know, there's an incredible, wonderful thing about God, but it's the thing that may be the hardest for us to practice, and that's His forgiveness. God is a forgiving God. I don't, I don't anticipate I need to prove that to a lot of you. We, we trust that. We believe that. But let's just go ahead and let God's word here just for a second kind of refresh us on what our God is like. Look up here. God is a forgiving God. Psalm 32. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave. I confessed, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. And I will not remember the God who doesn't forget. The God who knows all things says, I will not remember your sins. Let's look at the next one. 
to the Lord our God belong. I love that word belong. God's not just good at mercy and forgiveness. God created mercy and forgiveness. God owns mercy and forgiveness. They belong to him. Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to, made possible by, paid for by the riches of his grace. 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful. I mean, you just absolutely, you can count on it. Well, what about in this sin? He's faithful. Well, what about if I did it this many times? He is faithful. What about if I did that? He's faithful. What if I did this to my home? He is faithful. And he's just. His forgiveness isn't based on a warm feeling about you. It's not based on catching him in a good mood. It's just because God draws from the cross. He draws on the payment that was made for your sin and my sin. God is actually being just when he forgives you because it was paid for and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Folks, I can go on verse after verse. We can go on all day long. The cross, the the cross is about forgiveness. And this incredible, this wonderful, this marvelous forgiveness that you and I cling to, that we hold on to, that we so desperately need, this cross, this forgiveness that he so richly gives us, you and I are expected to give it. Look at these words of Jesus from Matthew 6. I find them to be some of the harder words in the Bible. Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses... Ah, that's wonderful, man. Your heavenly father is going to forgive you. But, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive yours. We'll come back to that in a moment. And then a verse we've already looked at in this series, one of my favorites in the Bible. This I find the hardest in the Bible. This is one of my favorites in the Bible. Be kind. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as... No differently than as God has forgiven you. Now, folks, I hope what we're seeing here in these words, this is a lot bigger than just, okay, guys, let's be like Jesus. You know, we're we're all Christians, and and, and that's what we're going to try to do. So somewhere this week, you find a place you can try to do what Jesus would do. Folks, forgiveness is is not a neat goal if you're strong enough. Forgiveness is not extracurricular for you believers that are really coming along in the faith. Forgiveness is not a neat idea. Might work for you. It's a command on your life in my life. I'm either obedient to this command or I am disobedient to this command. Not a neat idea, not a neat goal, the command on our lives. Now, the good news is, and you've heard me say this in the series, God is not asking me or you to do anything that he hasn't done for us, right? He has given that forgiveness, Ephesians 4.32, and out of, the, out of the joy, out of the celebration, out of the relief of the forgiveness we've been given, we are to give that to others. Now, I say that, but is that what this verse sounds like? Does this verse sound like I'm forgiving based on how God has forgiven me? Not, not really, does it? 
This passage almost, well, not almost, it reads like my forgiveness is conditional upon me being forgiving. This almost reads like God's kind of in a waiting mode. And if he sees me forgiving on, I don't know, I mean, what kind of percentage? 500? 700? Hey, God, can I get by with 300 and get me in an all-star game? What, what percentage? I mean, it just sounds like God's waiting to see on what level I forgive and then he'll forgive me. The good news is that's not what Jesus is saying here. You say, well, pastor, it sure looks like that's what he's saying right there. Well, remember, I've just pulled two verses out of the Bible. Anytime I put a verse up here, folks, you should write it down and go look what everything around it says and see if it was interpreted correctly because you have to read context to interpret something. So let me, let me leave the series for a moment. Let's talk about forgiveness and how this works for a second because this is pretty big to everything, isn't it? Now, if I want to understand what Jesus is saying in verses 14 and 15, I've got to go back to Matthew chapter 6. And if you look at the 13 verses that precede verses 14 and 15, you will find in verse 1 the disciples saying, Hey, Jesus, could you teach us to pray? And Jesus says, Good question. Yes. I would love to teach you guys to pray. And then Jesus gives them what? The Lord's Prayer. It's not a trick question. Let's try it again. And then Jesus gives them what? The Lord's Prayer. Amen. We all know that. We got it memorized. And matter of fact, you know what's so, what's so cool? We can say that prayer and not have a clue what we just said. Isn't that awesome? We can just recite it. Some of us probably say it backwards. So Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. It's a profound prayer. Very small. It's not long. I mean, what does it, what's it take to say the Lord's Prayer? 30 seconds? Probably not even that. Yet it is chock full of huge stuff. Big, big ideas. Hallowed be the Father and, and thy will be done. And there's forgiveness in there. And we're talking about daily bread. And we're talking about spiritual warfare. And then all things for his glory. Big, huge ideas. And, and a structure is given there. And so Jesus gives this teaching on prayer. He gives us the Lord's Prayer. And would you believe that at the end of that prayer in which there is so much about life and prayer, Jesus says... You know what? Let let me comment on something I just said about the prayer. Only one comment. Jesus makes only one comment about the prayer that he just gave. And it's verses 14 and 15. Because you remember in the prayer he says, forgive us of our sins as we, what? Forgive those who sinned against us. So he gives that in a prayer. And when the prayer's over, all this big stuff. But he gives one comment on the prayer. And he comes back and he elaborates on the forgiveness part. Now, to understand what is going on here, i got to go back into the prayer. And there's that thing. Has it, give us this day our daily. You know that word daily? I would call that the, the most important, unimportant word in that prayer. It's the most important, unimportant word. The reason I say it's unimportant is not because it's unimportant. The word daily is just not going to come off the page at us. Not when there's words like God and forgiveness and glory and thy will. I mean, there's just so many big words in that daily kind of gets buried, doesn't it? But that daily is a huge part of the prayer. Really what Jesus is teaching is a philosophy of understanding our relationship with God where I'm not coming to him asking for the bread that I need 10 years from now. No, when when the 10 years comes, then on that day I'll go before God and trust him for that day's bread. This is going to be a relationship of dependence and, and provision and daily I am coming before God. So see that word daily is kind of structuring the whole prayer. So give us this day our daily bread and 
And in continuation to that thought, along with in the same way that I'm daily asking for bread, I am daily saying, hey God, I'm really sorry for my sins and God, I need help forgiving others. It's a daily thing. Well, if it's a daily thing, wait a minute, I thought we were forgiven of our sins. Does that, does that mean I, I, I go to sleep and somewhere during the night I, my status is back in hell? And I got to get up tomorrow morning and start all over again saying, God, would you please save me from my sin? No, of course that's not what's happening. Folks, we know, maybe you don't know, there's a place in your life. You might be four, you might be 54. Might have happened at church, might have happened over coffee with a friend. It might have happened with you and God alone in a Bible. But usually there's a place in our lives where we realize, hey, I'm not all that good. Hey, I'm not really 100% sure I can fix this. I'm not sure anywhere where it shows the standard to be good enough, to be religious enough, to whatever enough is. And we realize, you know what, I don't think I can do this. But we see the good news. The issue is not what I can do. The issue is what God has done for me. And we come to that place in our lives. Do you remember when it was for you? That you came under the cross? You placed your life under the blood of Jesus? And and all your sins were forgiven. I went to the place where God's wrath has already fallen on sin. God's wrath's going to fall again, isn't it? It'll be horrible to destroy the planet. But when that wrath falls, I've got a safe place to stand. I'm standing in a place, the wrath has already fallen. Remember the sins, my sins were placed on Jesus. They've already been judged. God's wrath has already fallen on my sins. And so I'm safe under the cross. I'm safe under the blood of Jesus. And in that place in life, however age, whatever was going on, that I I turn from my sin and I turn from myself and I place my faith in Christ and I come up under his blood at that moment I'm adopted as a child of God at that moment I'm forgiven of all my sins the sins that weigh me down the the sins that show me what a disaster I am and how destructive I've been and what I've done to hurt people that I was supposed to love all that sin is forgiven it's forgiven past present future I mean do the math folks when he was on the cross all your sin was in the future it's all forgiven So if it's all forgiven, then why, when Jesus teaches me to pray, does he say I need to daily be confessing sins and receiving forgiveness? I call it the difference between relationship and fellowship, right? Or relationship and good relationship. I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, with Jesus. He won that for me. He bought that. He secured it. Nothing can undo it, praise the Lord. But you know what? If I keep walking in sin, it kind of... We don't feel as close to each other, do we? If, if I keep walking in sin, I, I don't enjoy what he won for me. I don't enjoy the relationship that's been forgiven. You know, I've got forgiveness, but if I'm not confessing sin and giving that forgiveness, I won't enjoy the forgiveness. And Jesus will say, says, it's like you've never been forgiven. You're, for, you're forgiven, you're, 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 you're heaven, your you're relationship with God is secure, but as you walk through life living in sin, as you walk through life being unforgiving to others, it's impossible for you to enjoy the forgiveness that's been given you, and you will live a life of a person that is guilty, that is bitter, that is angry, and that is burdened. Folks, do you see why God says to forgive? He's trying to do you a favor. He's not trying to get you to give something to somebody else. He's trying to do something for you. 
You've got to forgive this. You're destroying and killing your own life and you're losing all ability to enjoy the forgiveness that my Father has given you. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. It's for us that he says that. So when we're, when we're confessing sins each day, we're just keeping a healthy relationship going. We're not getting, this isn't an issue of heaven and hell. It, it's an issue of enjoying the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. And this giving of forgiveness is, is a hard deal. It, it's, think about this, folks. It's such a hard deal that Jesus said, you need to pray about it every time you pray. I mean, when, you, when you go through the Lord's Prayer again, you're not so much getting a poem to recite as you are getting a structure to pray through. And so when Jesus says, for, you know, ask the Lord for forgiveness and, and forgive those who've sinned against you, he's saying, hey, listen, this really ought to be a part of your daily prayer life. Your daily prayer life ought to be covering, Lord, is there anybody I'm harboring resentment again? Is, is there an ember burning down here deep in my belly? Lord, who do I need to be forgiving? This is a part of our regular prayer lives. We are to be practicing forgiveness every day, all day. And folks, how much more would that be true at home? Man, I sure hope for you that your greatest pain and hurt is not in your home. I, I, I hope it's somewhere out there but at home, it has to be practiced. Family can't work without forgiveness. Oneness, there is no such thing. There's no such thing as oneness without forgiveness. Forgiveness is the oil to oneness. It's the, it's the oil to the engine of oneness. We have to forgive. Again, sure a lot of fun if everybody is on board with doing that. But folks, my goal is not just everybody being on board doing what I need so it's easy for me. My goal is to practice being like God and my God is a forgiving God. And while I don't want to be hurt, while I don't want to experience pain, any pain, any hurt is just an opportunity for me to practice being like Him. Moms and dads, have you ever thought that maybe one of the primary objectives you have as a parent is to teach your kid to forgive? I know, I mean, I say primary objective. Of course, that would become after the goal of making them a professional athlete. That, that, that would be after the goal of them being a professional dancer. That would be after the goal of, you know, my straight-A student at Buckaroo Elementary. You know, that, that, that would be after the goal of, uh, of them being well-fed and well-clothed. You know what, folks? I don't know if your kid's going to be a professional athlete or not. I don't know if they're going to be rich or not. I don't know if they're going to be well-educated or not. But I can guarantee you they're going to be hurt. And I can guarantee you that if your kid is the wealthiest major league baseball player in the world and has more food and more clothing and more education than they know what to do with, their pain will define their life more than any of that other stuff. Their pain will define them more than their grades. Their pain will define them more than the college you get them into. Their pain will define them more than how much better than they are than your neighbor's kids. It's wonderful all the things we provide and do for our kids, but are we teaching them to forgive? Are we showing them in our lives, and hey, a lecture, lecture is all fine and good. Hey, I make my business giving lectures, right? But isn't the life lived a much more profound lesson and a much more believable lesson? What, you know, your kids watching you hurt. Well, my, I, you know, my kids don't see me hurt. <laughs> yeah. 
right? You know what? If you live in a 10,000 square foot home and you keep the kids in the east wing, then maybe they don't know. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say, in the average home, your kids know who you hate. In the average home, they know who you're angry at. They know when you're angry at your boss. They know when you're angry at the neighbor. They know when you're angry at their mother, at their father. They know. There's, most of our homes just can't hide that conversation, can they? Most of our homes can't hide that phone call. It, it, so they know when you're hurting. They know when you're frustrated. They know when you're angry. So what an opportunity, and obviously, folks, there's some age appropriateness here, but what an opportunity to pull that kid aside every now and then and say, hey, listen, I, I know you've heard this the last week. I know you know what's going on. You know I'm hurting. You know I'm frustrated. You know I probably haven't handled this so well, but I'm, I want you to know something. I'm sure praying about this. I sure want to be able to forgive like God has forgiven me. And then just to be able to have some kind of conversation about that what are we preparing our kids for most of us are preparing our kids for a lot of things they're probably never going to have the opportunity at but they're going to get poked in the nose and they're going to get lied to and they're going to get lied about and they're going to be betrayed and you're only going to protect them that for so long as a matter of fact they'll spend more of their life out from under your protection than they will under it Are we preparing our kids to forgive? So how do we forgive? How do we forgive? Gosh, the sermon ought to be almost over, right? We had not even got to the how to forgive. Well, the good news is I don't have four points. One point, one sentence, doesn't get any more simple than this. Here it is. is. This is how you forgive. Forgive them. Who's them? Your mate, your kids, your grandparents, your parents, the boss, the neighbor, the kids at school people you don't know, people you don't like, forgive them in the way you want God to forgive you. Let this thought guide your words, your attitudes, what you do before you give, what you do while you're forgiving, what you do after you forgive. Forgive them in the way you want to be forgiven. You know, folks, when I am going to God and I am trusting in him for forgiveness, I sure hope his forgiveness isn't accompanied with the silent treatment. So then I guess that means my forgiveness would not be accompanied with the silent treatment. You know, when I, when I go to God for forgiveness, I mean, I don't know if this is a right and fair expectation of mine or not, but man, when I go to him forgiveness, I sure hope it's going to be accompanied with his smile. I sure hope he's not going to leave me hanging out there too long letting me know if he accepts me or not. I mean, I, I really hope when I say, I, before I even get out E, Sorry, I I, I hope I already have his smile and his acceptance. Well, if that's what I want, if if that's what I'm trying to experience in his forgiveness, then, then would that not mean that when somebody's coming to me for forgiveness or I'm needing to give forgiveness, that I would be doing the best I can to put a smile and acceptance with that? And when I go to God for forgiveness, I'm, I, I sure hope he's not going to surprise attack me in three years and bring it all up again like it happened yesterday. Right? So I guess when I'm forgiving or I'm saying that I'm forgiving, I, I, I guess it sh- I shouldn't bring it up in three years either. You know, when I go to God for forgiveness, I sure hope he's not saying out loud, Randy, I forgive you, but down deep, the ember's still burning. 
the anger's still there. And he's almost, yeah, I forgive you, but I'm watching. And I almost can't wait till there's a reason to reignite the ember. I'm looking. I am going to look through your Facebook page every day to see if I can find a reason to enliven my anger against you again. You, you do know God sees your Facebook page, right? That's, that's not news, right? Okay. I mean, folks, you, you can just keep walking through attitudes that go on, actions that go on. You forgive in the way that you want to be forgiven. No less. You're, you're not being asked to do something more than God would do for you. You are not being asked to do something more difficult than God has done for you. Just follow what you would want when you are forgiven by God and do that in the same way for others. Two quick questions. Number one, okay, what if they're not sorry? Okay, now this might sound a little bit like from left field, but, but folks, if they're not sorry, I don't think you have to forgive them. And God doesn't forgive people who are not repentant. I mean, if I read the words of Jesus, if I understand the words of Jesus, I think, I think more people are going to hell than going to heaven. That's what, remember the, way, the, the road is wide and many are on the road to destruction and the road to heaven is narrow and few are choosing it. See, more people are saying, I, I, I'm doing fine on my own. I'll get forgiveness through this religion. I'll, I'll get forgiveness through these good works. Most people are not coming up under the cross. If, if you're not repentant, you're not forgiven. And again, I don't see God asking me to do something he's not doing. So if, if God's not forgiving, if, if, they're not for, if they're not sorry, if they're not repentant, then I don't have to forgive. But don't unleash the hounds. What is God doing when people are unrepentant? Let me rephrase that. What was God doing when you were not sorry? What was God doing when you were unrepentant? Was he not working to restore you? Was he not trying to open your eyes and your heart to his love and the forgiveness that is available, the forgiveness that is there? And you know what? When somebody's not sorry, God may bring. Well, not God may be. He will bring it. Scripture tells us he will bring it. He'll bring consequences and he'll bring discipline. But is he doing that to get even? Does he get a little charge out of seeing us hurt? No, his goal in bringing consequences, his goal in discipline is restoration. And that should be our goal. What, whatever that leads me to say, to do, discipline, no discipline, whatever that leads us to do, the goal ultimately is to see a person restored. Not ever to get even. It's, it's to see a person restored. Second question. Second question. I, I really want to do this. I've really tried to do this. This isn't the first message I've heard on forgiveness. I, I desperately want to forgive. And, and I do this and, and I do what I think the scripture is saying. Or I do what that pastor up there I think he's saying. But then a month later I wake up and it's. It's there again. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you heard something. Maybe you saw something on Facebook. And all of a sudden, you, there, there's the pain. And do you know what we say to ourselves? Then? We say, I can't do it. I can't, I'm trying. I know God wants me to do it, but I, I, can't, I can't forgive. I don't, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know what's wrong. Hey, folks, when you wake up with that pain, that's not a statement about your inability. That's just a statement that Satan's trying to use this again. 
Read Psalm 4. Read Ephesians 4. God makes it so clear that anger is the biggest door that Satan has into your life. Through that singular emotion of anger, hurt, pain, bitterness, they're all cousins, they all go together. That through anger, Satan gets his lease, not ownership, but he gets his lease on your life. Again, why is God telling us to forgive? It's your well-being. It's your well-being. So, so when you wake up or, or you run into somebody and then all of a sudden they're, I mean, you're almost on the verge of tears. You can't believe it. You thought it was past you. You thought you'd handle it. And then, and then there it is again. Don't, don't be down on yourself. Just recognize what's happening. Satan's going to do everything he can to keep this memory in front of you. Satan's going to do everything he can to bring those emotions back. Anger is his opportunity. So we got to look at Satan and say, hey, listen, stop. Whoa, time out here. I forgive because I've been forgiven. Remember why we forgive, folks. It's not because they've changed. It's not because they deserve it. It's not because they're good. It's not because they paid you back. I forgive because I've been forgiven. And I desperately want to live my life in God's love, not your hate. So be gone. Be gone. And folks, count on needing to say this more than once. Count on it. I do, by the way, actually believe victory comes. But sometimes we have to wrestle and we have to fight for quite a while before it comes but just have your go-to when that emotion hits know where you go right when the emotion hits when the pain hits know where you go folks there's no doubt here that what we're talking about today i'm not going to say the hardest i don't know what the hardest thing to do in following christ is it might be a little bit different for all of us but dang isn't this like in second or third place at least for every one of us i mean forgiveness is hard Forgiveness is the hard stuff of following Christ. And when we came up under the cross and enjoyed the riches of that forgiveness, weren't we also saying, I'm going to follow you. I trust you. I want to be what you are. And Jesus said, cool, good, I do too. I also want you to be what I am. Let's start with, let's start with what we're doing here at the cross. Let's start with forgiveness. Remember, folks, it's not about letting them off the hook. It's not about saying your pain and your anger doesn't matter. It's not about saying what they did doesn't matter. It's not about saying it's all okay. No, folks, it, it, forgiveness is about what God has done for you. And the goal you have in this life to be like him. And we're going to need to be like him everywhere in the world. Gosh, I certainly want to be like him in my home. Certainly in my home, I want to be like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I've, I, I, I don't know what everybody in this room, everyone at Midlothian, I don't, I don't know what we're all carrying. I sure hope it's not heavy. I know the reality, though, Lord, of where we live and what goes on, and I know that probably more of us than is even possible to imagine are carrying something very heavy. Some of that heaviness happened in April. Just happened last month. Some of us are carrying a, a heaviness that, that happened 37 years ago. 
Lord, for some of us, that person's dead. They're not even, they're not even here on the earth anymore. Maybe, maybe that person is out of reach, and that's okay. We, we're, we're okay with them being out of reach. Lord, maybe the person we need to forgive is, is somebody that if I walked up to them and said, I forgive you, that probably would make things about ten times as bad. <laughs> Gosh, Lord, there's, there's so many things. I, I can't answer it all. I can't give direction and all that. Certainly not in this form, in this moment. But God, you can. You can. And I pray for every person in this room. The trust in you. The trust in your forgiveness, the, tr- the joy in your forgiveness to say, God, I, I want to try again to take this on. I want to forgive like you've been forgiving me. Lord, I pray that what is coming before us in this week ahead is victory like has never been experienced before. pray it would restore marriages I pray it would restore relationships between parents and children between children and their parents Lord I, even as I say I, I pray this week God sometimes the victory is in that first step of whatever needs to happen the process may take longer than just this week God, I pray for every one of us that needs to, and it's probably pretty close to all of us, that, God, we could step out of the boat and we could walk on the water of forgiveness and see your power and see your miracle. God, everything I see falling apart in our country, everything that is so destroyed in our country, and I... God, it just seems like sooner or later it all traces its way back to the home. We don't need perfect homes. We need living followers of Christ who show the world how to work through imperfect homes. There's no value in showing the world a perfect home because there is none. showing how we live for you and follow you in the imperfection of our love and our forgiveness the imperfection of our relationships the imperfection of being a mom and a dad of being a mate of being a grandparent the world needs to see how we follow you through our imperfection of that God may we do it in the name the powerful saving loving forgiving name of Jesus Christ Amen